Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian. And we have a fantastic Ladies of Liberty episode today with our favorite sex worker on Twitter, Molly Smash. Molly, you want to introduce yourself? Hello, hello. <laughs> yes, my name is Molly Smash. Um, I am a sex worker and I am the chairperson and founder of the Libertarian Party of Orleans County. Awesome. And Molly, how we usually jump into these uh, is we do uh, kind of your path to liberty. So if you want to walk us through where you came from and then how you found liberty and how you found the Libertarian Party, uh, we just love hearing those stories. Sure. So sometime around the 2016 election, um, I found myself unfortunately, as a, as a Trump supporter, and I felt that he did not align with a lot of my views, and I was actually originally registered as a Republican. So at that time, um, you know, I was around like 19 or 20 years old. I often went to my family for guidance when it comes to politics, um, and I asked my father, who I thought was a, a Republican, and I said, you know, how do you feel about this election? I know that you don't, you know, align with a lot of his views. And he said, I'm actually not, a re I'm not a Republican. I'm actually what's called a Libertarian. And so that was my first, you know, learning about what the Libertarian Party is. So I contacted the Monroe County LP chair at the time, who was Tony D'Orazio, and he's an awesome guy. <laughs> um, and he taught me everything I needed to know about it. And it was, it just kind of blew up from there. Like I was so inspired by my views aligning with it absolutely perfectly. I just had to do everything I could to make the party grow. Wow, so that's fascinating. So your dad was actually a libertarian before and hadn't really um, pushed that on you at all until you asked more later in your teens? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like I grew up with libertarian values. So that was, that was something I, I liked. Yeah, very interesting. And Tony, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he is the gentleman from New York that ran for chair last time around. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, he, he was chair for some time. And then now Cody Anderson is our new chair. Yeah, but he actually ran for national chair. Did he not? Yes. Yeah, yes. He, uh, he ran for LNC chair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I remember him. Yeah, he's a good guy. Good guy. Well, very cool. So yeah, interesting uh, that you're more of a recent convert to the party, uh, which actually Kevin and myself are as well. I joined the party in 2016 as a former Republican. Um, I probably can say I never supported Trump, but, <laughs> but he was one of the <laughs> reasons uh, that I ended up leaving the party uh, because I saw the Republican party going that way. Um, so that's pretty interesting. So growing up, talk about, um, now looking back on it, now knowing that your father is a libertarian, but maybe not knowing that while you were growing up, how did you see him uh, impressing that upon you guys without actually tilting your politics? Well, he he told it to me in ways that were that were very like common sense, like don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like very simple things that like the way that libertarians are. The, the kings and queens of slogans like that's kind of how he taught it to me growing up like um 
just just treating people the way you want to be treated like understanding that some people are going to live different lifestyles that you don't agree with but that's okay and diversity of thought is the most important form of diversity and like that that was really really pushed on to me he's got he's basically taught me like you really 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 have to be okay with other people not thinking the way that you do as long as you two mutually respect each other that's what's important interesting and what part of new york so um currently i'm in orleans county new york but i actually did not grow up here so um when i was two my family moved down to orlando florida and that's where i was raised for about 15 years okay. and then i kind of traveled around and um originally actually i was a piercer i was a body piercer for a while and then uh kind of got more into like the mom duties <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. then i then i moved back here about six years ago well it's just interesting because i was trying to figure out where he was uh spending time because what you, I guess, uh, what made you think he was a Republican as you were growing up? Um, just hating socialism. Okay. <laughs> he, like, he, he definitely, like, pu pushed that on me a lot, the, is, like, the, the horrors of socialism, and, like, my dad always talked to me like I was an adult, and I thought that that was really interesting. Um, so I, I understood things in politics before any of my friends did <laughs> so <laughs> but then I just automatically like I never knew of third parties I never knew that they existed so I only knew about Democrat and Republican right right and the, you said mom's in the picture where is she yeah. politically I think she doesn't really she's kind of more of a Democrat um but I do believe that there was a switch that was made recently. Like she, she voted for Obama, but then I, then she also voted for Trump. So she's kind of a centrist in a way, but she's not like politically knowledgeable, I guess you would say. Like I have to school her all, on a lot of topics, but she is not really like, doesn't really care much about it. Very cool. What is your, uh, go ahead, Kevin. Right. So she's just not very active in it is what you're saying. Like, yeah, she she's not active at all. My, my dad is definitely active in politics. Okay. Was he ever active in the party? Um, it would be Seminole County. I don't, I think that he's been to a couple of meetings. There's an employee that works for him that, um, I don't remember his name, but I know that he's very active in the Orlando, like the Orlando chapter. Very cool. Um, that's, that's about as far as it gets. Cool. So once you had the epiphany, and you realized you were a libertarian uh, at that point you knew there was a party you found out at that point yeah um i mean i had to i mean it was a slow process of me like a lot of reading i bought a lot of libertarian books radicals for capitalism um, don't hurt people don't take their stuff uh economics 101 uh, uh free to choose all of these books that like i like obviously had a lot of um people that had to teach me all these little things here and there, like Alex Merst, I bought his book. Um, I, I love learning, <laughs> let's just put it that way. Like I have a whole, my whole house is just a big, one big library. So I have like a thirst for knowledge. Every time I start learning about something, I just have to know everything about it. Yeah, well, you've mentioned this book twice. So I'm gonna put a plug out there because it's my favorite book of all time is the Matt Kibbe don't hurt people and don't take their stuff that is yes uh, that's a wonderful book that's probably the book that had the biggest influence on me during my journey uh so i just i love matt kibbe he's one of my one of my friends and uh just a fantastic guy 
uh, anybody that needs to or hasn't read that book um, in the last 12 months needs to read it every 12 months. So Yes. <laughs> that's one of my go-tos every year. Um, well, cool. So once you found the party, uh, talk to us a little bit about how you started to get involved and what that process looked like and what you've done since joining the party. Well, it was a very, um, once I got into it, I wanted to know everything that I could do for it. So when I started, um, Larry Sharp and uh, Mark Legowski, they were running. Um, and so I went out to the festivals and I had a booth, like a libertarian booth, and I handed out flyers and I was doing a lot of petitioning for ballot access. So that was really nice to be involved in that. So I didn't even realize <laughs> that at the time, cause I didn't plan on running at that time. I was just helping with the party um, that all the petitioning that I did was also contributing to my future run for office as well. So that was great. So when Larry Sharp actually gained ballot access for us when he ran, that helped me when I ran. Now how did you um, get into the ballot access petitioning? Who yes. got you into that? Mm -hmm. who, and who once involved in the petitioning yes yes uh, well it was him and it was mark Lugowski. uh he was a former lany chair which is the corporate there was a corporation and an organization for the lpny we, uh, it was like the only we were the only party that had that and we actually dissolved the uh corporation back in i believe it was november okay was he running for governor against Larry or was he running for a different position? Um, Mark was running for assembly of uh, assembly district 139. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Wonderful yeah. guy. Like I first met him and like, he doesn't seem like the guy that would like talk to somebody like me, but he was so, so open. And like, that's was really, really inviting for me is that somebody who looks like him and has completely different views than me on a lot of different topics that me and him just got along so well. That was like my vibe of the like of the Libertarian Party. It was wonderful. Yeah, that's great. No, that's great. You jumped right in uh, on a ballot access drive. I think that's pretty impressive. Most people, you know, join the party and are quiet for a few years and then finally get the bug to get involved. And even then, you know, ballot access is probably the biggest grind that anyone can get into. It's hard. It's hard. And it's especially hard for introverts, which there are a lot of introverts in the Libertarian Party. And it was very, very difficult. And I put myself out there and, you know, I have crippling anxiety. <laughs> so going up to random strangers and being like, hey, like, can you help me get Cuomo off the uh, out of office fund? <laughs> so <laughs> that was like my approach with them. They're all like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, okay, so you get, get that done. Larry has his run. Were you involved in the run at all? Yeah. Well, not not professionally. I wasn't like on his team or anything, but I, I did everything I could to campaign. You know, I talked to everybody around and uh, I think most people around here had never learned about the Libertarian Party until I came here. Right, right. And, and just so we can get the lay of the land, the county that you're in, is that upstate? Is that where? That's, that? uh, it's Western New York. So it's in Orleans County. It's population about like 40,000 people. So, okay. Okay, so Western New York, that's over by the Ohio side of it or Canada? Um, closer to Canada, uh, it's it's in between Buffalo and Rochester. Okay, more of a conservative area in New York? Yes, very red, very red conservative area. Okay, cool. And um, how did he do there? Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Monroe County and Orleans County were like the highest 
um, voter turnout for him. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, we just had him on the other day and he was talking about that, that upstate New York and some of the red counties that he did, um, you know, upwards of five to 10% in some of those counties. Well, yeah, yeah. He resonated with everybody around here with the, um, like his view on firearms. That was the number one um, issue for a lot of people around here. Yeah. Yeah. And then spent time. Did he make it to that county to visit? Oh yeah. He came here often. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. So Sprint, how did you feel like that run went? I think it could have been better, but it's growing. You know, he, get, he did a lot for us and he did a lot for ballot access. So I can only, you know, show my appreciation for that. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been on the ballot for when I ran for office. So, yeah. Yeah, we, um, from a national point of view, a lot of us, you know, obviously wanted a higher percentage out of Larry. Um, but when you, when you take a step back and you look at what he accomplished, you know, it was something that has never been accomplished by a libertarian in New York and it got us the ballot access and, um, and did a whole lot of things and, and got his name out there. And most importantly, after that, he continued to pump, you know, the podcasts and going out and meeting people and bringing people into Liberty. And uh, he's just been a great, great voice ever since the 2018 run. Um, he brought a lot of people together that wouldn't normally be together. Exactly. For sure. And then he encouraged people like you to run. So let's talk about that. What did you do afterwards? Yeah. So, um, First, um, yeah, I decided to run for legislature at large. Um, I was running against a Republican incumbent and he's been in office a little bit over a decade. Um, so I got the highest voter turnout um, for a third party candidate in the county's history. So that was nice. I got 12.1%. <laughs> My first time running, I got, I think like 722 votes which wow. was great. I mean, that's, to me, that's an accomplishment, whether I won or not, that was amazing. I think sure. that's a huge accomplishment, especially if you look at the percentage wise, like the number, the numbers, not, you know, the numbers are the numbers, but that percentage wise is, is really good, especially for a first run against an incumbent like that. Yeah. And I believe a lot of it was transparency as well. It's like, I told them like, this is what I do for a living, you know, if you, if you elect me, I'll just leave you the fuck alone. Like <laughs> that was literally like, I, I was on the, like, I spoke to them on a very personal level. Like I wasn't trying to be the politician. I wasn't trying to be the suit and tie. Like I was like, this is me. You know, I also like firearms. I support your right to smoke marijuana. Like I, I'm here to show a better future for this place, not keep it the way it's, it's going, you know? Right. So those you're, those red counties like we were talking about in the area, are they more like a like a liberty leaning red or was like your job was your occupation kind of an issue with them? Are they more socially conservative or how did that how did that work? I got a very positive um, reaction from the conservatives when it comes to my um, profession. And I was very surprised because I thought I was going to get a good impression from the Democrats. I even attended a meeting for the young Democrats of Orleans County and they weren't impressed. They said, you know what, you're aligned, most of your, let's say 80% of my views aligned with theirs, but the fact that I didn't um, align with them on firearms, they completely shut me out. So, um, right. That's clearly, their hot button but, issue out there. Yeah. 
yeah so basically the conservatives were like you know i don't really care that you're a sex worker you know i see that you want to create a second amendment sanctuary here and that's what we care about and i see that you want to lower taxes and you know look into the county budget and not spend a thousand dollars on a chair <laughs> you know what i mean so you know that really resonated with everybody it is so funny how different states uh are different in that regard right kevin i mean kevin used to live in Oklahoma for a long time. Uh, I live in Oklahoma now. <clears throat> My assumption, Kevin, would be is that the sex work thing would be a really big deal here. And the gun, yeah. you know, and Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, doesn't matter. You could be a socialist here. You're still pro-gun in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? So like, but it's just so interesting that the different localities, you know, and it, and it speaks to the fact that Libertarians really need to understand where they're running and how they're running in that area um yeah and it sounds like you did you understood you know that pro-gun uh was going to be something that you could claw even republican voters on if you were more pro-gun than the uh incumbent yes and it was and it was a lot about um approaching people like the gun groups like people who are that's their whole life like the hunting groups, sportsmen's groups. I joined a lot of uh, clubs around here and I just sat and talked with people personally and that did a lot. My um, my county sheriff, the one that just got elected and our DA, I sat down with both of them, um, especially with my DA, I sat down with him over coffee and I said, listen, you know, this is what I do for a living and I just want to be respected as a consenting adult. And he was a nice guy. Um, a lot of people in the county don't agree with him and that's fine, but sometimes just interpersonal communication with your with your base is goes very far and i think that libertarian candidates should be doing that more instead of just sticking to social media uh campaigning yeah did you uh was that a one-on-one -on -one race or did you have multiple people running oh that was one-on-one -on -one. yeah it was just me i'm just me and the republican which helped <laughs> No, but that's great. We we always talk about Kevin and I always talk about targeting those races. And the interesting thing is, is uh, somebody I was talking to from New York, I can't remember who it was, but they were uh, indicating that that almost never happens in New York because it's so democratic. They must have been talking about the city um, and not upstate. Uh, but that's pretty awesome that you found a one-on-one -on -one race. It really allows you to amplify your message. Yeah, no, Most of the races around races, here are one-on-one. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Are, is that right? Uh, but uh, something that we've talked about, we talked about it on our first episode, and then we've kind of talked about it since then, is I, we believe that something that libertarians can do to get elected is exactly like you did. You find an issue that kind of transcends politics, and you really kind of focus in on that. So, you know, like Rainwater did it with the mask mandates and the lockdown. Sounds like you did it with 2A. Um, I think that that was a really, really good strategy, something that we've talked about quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, was that your only run so far? No. Um, so before I start, before I ran for legislature, I was elected as a um, state committee member at large for the LANY. Oh, cool. Um, that was like my first big accomplishment, I guess, in the Libertarian Party, which is nice because it was early on. And in the middle of me running for legislature, like right kind of nearing towards the end, um, I founded the Libertarian Party of Orleans County in September of 2019. Oh, cool. That was very difficult. It took me over a year. <laughs> so. Is that now uh, what, a county affiliate? Is that what that is? Uh, yes, an ICO. 
Awesome. That's fantastic. What was what was L L A? What was that? Um. So. Uh, LANY is like libertarian um I don't know it's like affiliates or something they changed it up a million times and I don't know why but it there it was basically in New York we have the we had the corporation and we had the organization so the corporation was the LANY and the organ and the organization was the LPNY and they decided that it wasn't needed to have these two so in um November we um dissolved we, we voted to dissolve the, the corporation, which was what I was a part of. Got it, I understand. Interesting. And then uh, you founded the uh, Orleans County, is that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. How many people are in that now? Um, I'm thinking around like, it, it, it fluctuates, obviously people are involved and not involved, some around like 20 something. Wow, that's fantastic. But there's also people that are registered in in the county and they're just not actively involved in the uh yeah yeah oh that's fantastic and that uh that got kicked off basically off of the strength uh was that right before your run or right after um that was right before that was right before okay. oh no wait wait so wait a minute um it was in the middle so like my my election ended in november and then the the county was the county organization was formed in September so it was like right nearing by each other right because you weren't busy enough running <laughs> I had a lot going on that year <laughs> I had a lot going on that year so imagine all of that well I just came out as a sex worker and I also was going through a divorce <laughs> so that was like a whole oh that was a very long year for me We'll talk a little bit about coming out as a sex worker. I'm sure that was a emotional decision and especially, you know, as you're about to run for office and all that stuff. Well, yeah, so I started in sex work when I was 18. So I knew that it was going to come out at some point. And so instead of having skeletons in my closet, like every other politician, I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna be transparent and see where it goes. So it can either be disastrous or it can be, you know, amazing and I was willing to take that risk because I wasn't that far into it yet to where it, like my, it really mattered so as soon as I said something about it it blew up and it was international news <laughs> so <laughs> I think I made the right decision and and now I'm I'm uh I'm happy that I decided to be transparent and I hope that more uh I guess politicians follow my lead sure how did the family take it Oh, oh, my family, like I said, I was raised by libertarians. <laughs> my family always knew I was a sex worker. They're just like, you know what? Capitalism's awesome. You know, as long as you're safe and you're happy and your bills are paid, I don't care. Yeah. And now offline, while we were talking, you made the distinction, I thought, where you said legal sex worker. Yeah. So in the sex work world, a lot of people want legalization and the problem obviously also as libertarians would point out with legalization comes taxation and regulation. Sure. Professional sex workers get tested very, very often. We don't need the government to tell us to get tested. Um, obviously we don't wanna be fucking taxed. That's, that's a given. <laughs> um, legalism is a form of classism. So when brothels open, that makes money for the people that open the brothels. Um, the people under them, you know, you're not gonna be able to sell it on the street. So survival sex work would still exist. Uh, people would still be getting in prison for the fines that they don't end up paying or what have you. And 
put yourself in a scenario where you work for a brothel and I've never worked for a brothel before, so I don't know hundred percent if this actually happens, but I assume it does just like any other employer can take advantage of their employee. Imagine that um, hypothetically, you weren't comfortable doing a certain sexual act and you told your boss and they said, well, you know, either you can do this or you can either have your pay cut or you can be fired. And I just don't like the thought of that being involved in, in sex. Right. Right. So, you know, you don't want people doing things that they're uncomfortable with, like sexually for money. And that's what, you know, decriminalization can fix that because that makes you your own boss. That puts you in, in charge of your own money. Um, that allows um, sex workers to get the health, the, um, the health care that they need. Um, it's just, it's all around better. That's it. It's what everyone needs. And it, it all can, actually can also reduce sex trafficking because it takes the spotlight off of consenting adults and put it on people that are actually suffering. And so is that pretty, just so I understand it, is that pretty broad uh, inside of the sex work industry who is pushing for one way or the other? Everybody is pretty much on the decrim side? Yeah, yeah, the, the people that know what's going on anyways, yes. And, um, and in the decrim scenario, there would be no brothels. This would essentially just, um, it, would, it would make it legal or sorry. Yes. Not criminal. Um, yes. So it would take away it would take away criminal penalties, um, yeah. and ideally also civil penalties. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. And then and then what stops the brothels from happening? I'm just trying to understand that part of the of the free market. Um. Because technically, they wouldn't be able to open up as a legal business because it's not legal. Ah. Okay. 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 In countries where there are brothels, I mean, trafficking still happens because just like we, we, we all know that, you know, if, if something is taxed and regulated, it, it gets pushed back into the black market that like the, the black market remains because of taxation and regulation. So yeah, yeah. so now I'm, I'm making the comparison in my head of like a college town where weed is still illegal, but they don't find you if they catch you with it on you. Yes, and then there's also something called the Nordic model, which which is terrible. Um, it's basically full decriminalization for the sex worker, but the person who is the client ends up going to prison. Which is, and that just doesn't help anybody. That just discourages sex workers from being able to do their job. Right, and then and then isn't that kind of the opposite though of what happens now? Nah. Where, no, they both like, get arrested now. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah i had always heard the opposite i had always heard that um the john's got nothing so it's actually interesting that we're that we're bringing up the legal structure of this because something that pushed me towards um being open about this so uh, something very personal did happen to me that um i think it'd be interesting to talk about um i was going through family court shortly after i had my daughter yeah and at that time I was still a sex worker and in family court, apparently they decided that my job was immoral and they banned me from doing all forms of legal sex work as unconstitutional as that is. I did not know my rights at the time. I just took the deal 
because I did I well you know I was afraid of losing my child you know they were like do you want to make money or do you want to be a parent so of course I'm going to choose my child um and these are the unfortunate circumstances that a lot of sex workers are put through in family court um whether it's the judge deciding that you know they don't want to see somebody as a parent on a sex worker or a vengeful um father or mother of the child you know seeing that the other parent is a sex worker and uses that against them in court saying they're an unfit parent so they shouldn't you know yada 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 um that's an issue with with what negative negative stigma can do destroy the family structure sure and and just so people can understand the breadth of this when you say you can't do any legal sex work just explain what is legal sex work today um yes right now so domination which is um basically bdsm with no sexual contact um pornography uh webcam modeling so basically porn just live streamed and uh stripping and sensual massage which is not sexual um and phone sex Okay. So, I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that when we do talk about sex work, we're talking about the whole breadth of those activities. Yes. Um, and, and that's important for people because I, I don't think, you know, when I talk about sex work, that's not necessarily what I'm thinking about. Um, yeah. So, so full service sex work would be prostitution. Right. Okay. All right. And so, um, so talk a little bit about the legal sex work aspect and the problems that people face even when they try to just stick to the legal uh, legal acts you just explained? Yeah, um, so just, you know, the, the negative stigma of going through life, um, you know, just people thinking that you're a scumbag, people think that you're, non, you're an unfit parent, um, jobs denying you employment because they know that, you know, you have an OnlyFans or whatever. Um, they just don't see it as a, a respected job or an honorable job um yeah. you know it's it's unfortunate you, you can get denied pretty much anything you can get kicked out of school you know you can get kicked out of a college which i understand if it's a private college and you know private colleges have the right to kick out anybody for any reason they want and i respect that but it's unfortunate that it happens so we want to get rid of that stigma sure. and i also understand that from an employment um perspective as well they they are business owners it is their you know it's their right as a private business owner to hire and fire for whatever the reason they choose. But, um, you know, there was a time that people thought that about tattoos and now you see people with tattoos working in every job. So I think just pushing towards ending the negative stigma can do a lot without using government force, of course. Sure, sure. Same thing with different mental disorders and anxiety and things like that. You know, uh, yeah. the stigma can be, um, obviously a stigma is almost always worse than what the actual thing is. Yes, and actually, speaking of which, with the un- with the employment part, is that, you know, imagine how many people will get off of welfare if they could just become a sex worker. Right. <laughs> do you know how much money that would save this country? Right. <laughs> if they could do it, knowing that they weren't going to get arrested and their kids weren't going to get fed, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I'm sure you heard the... Um, or saw the article that came out this last week, the, um, uh, what was it? Um, what was it, the emergency? Oh, the Pornhub. Um, yeah, yeah, was that what it was? 
Yes, oh, Pornhub is no longer accepting Visa. Well, it's not that they're longer, no longer accepting it. Visa and MasterCard are no longer um, servicing Pornhub, and but now Pornhub is accepting crypto, which is that's pretty interesting. Yeah, sorry, this was the EMT uh, that got um, outed by. Oh yes, Post. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, the New York Post uh, outed her as a sex worker and shamed her basically, and. Uh, of course, AOC had to um, stick her nose in it and say, you know, sex work is work, which is true. But then she had to, to say basically that that's a reason to, oh, did you hear me? Yep. yep. I don't know if it blocked out. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. I got a phone call and I didn't know if it, it blocked it. Um, so yeah, AOC used the sex work is work uh, line to push for the stimulus check yeah. and said, <laughs> oh, well, you know, well, she shouldn't need another job. She shouldn't need to work for only fans. Yeah, I saw that. I, uh, I was happy for a second and then unhappy again. <laughs> but talk about the stimulus now. I know that's an issue here. So the average sex worker, um, right? So how were they impacted, A, by the lockdowns and the virus, and then B, by the stimulus? I think people know the answer, but let's just kind of go through it. Um, so basically... Um... there's ups and downs to it so people being quarantined clearly they're going to sit at their home and they're going to want to get on Pornhub more so my views went up but at the same time their income went down so they're not able to tip they're not able to um you know spoil you know like sugar babies that you know uh sex work is a luxury so people who um purchase dominatrixes or even full service sex workers you know even wealthy people that purchase them they're like well you know I can't afford to do this anymore I have to save my money because we don't know where the economy is going so that basically um you know that that threw us under the rug and then on top of that sex workers don't qualify for SBA loans or even uh, sex work related businesses like strip clubs or um porn shops so even those businesses were affected oh I didn't even know that. So they don't get SBA loans? Yeah, no, nothing porn related or sexual related is is qualifies for an SBA loan. Wow. And then um, when you when you do lose income, how does unemployment work? You can't get on them. Yeah, you don't qualify for unemployment for that. Right. So basically, are there issues with banking as well? With banking? Um, Not really. I mean, it seems I'd like say there's more of an issue article with that came out where there was a lot like of that. there was a lot of issues with some banks were denying and closing accounts once they figured out that they were being funded by sex work. But maybe that was a couple of years ago. I think that was PayPal. Was it PayPal? Yeah. Yeah, I believe PayPal was doing that. Which is unfortunate, but you know, it's just there's so many industries which it's like how can you get mad at them because they're private? their private, you know, businesses, what can you really say to them other than, you know, do what you want to do with your business, but it's, it's the stigma that makes it, you know, socially acceptable for them to do that, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's, that's where you can get mad at them. I mean, if they're overreacting, I think the, the Visa MasterCard thing was interesting. It sounded like they were cracking down, um, for what they thought was a good reason, right? They were trying to stop child trafficking. <clears throat> a lot of people got caught in the crosshairs 
Um, and yeah, that was an interesting one that I... Well, yeah, they put they set in new regulations for Pornhub saying that only verified users can um, upload videos and all this other stuff, which is actually wonderful. Right. They did a great, like, they should be doing that. Okay, so that's interesting. So you were in favor of that? Oh, change? absolutely. Yeah, there, there shouldn't be anybody uploading videos that isn't verified as a, as a consenting adult. I mean, yeah. that's, that's regulation on the private industry. This isn't government regulation. This is private industry regulations. <laughs> so I'm, I'm fine with that. And the people that held the purse were the ones that, that influenced it as interesting. Um, and so the legal sex workers on the site were in favor of that. I didn't know much about this issue. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because the, the professionals are the ones with the verified accounts. I have a verified account on Pornhub. So, I mean, the it's, and it's rigorous. It, like uploading anything, they, they don't even let you say like certain things like, like a sleeping or bleeding or anything in the title they're very very specific about what you say as soon as you upload it you have to upload it with um a form um a signed form of consent from everybody involved in the video and a valid form of id uploaded with it and they go through them like crazy and i'm glad that they do because they should right interesting interesting stuff so the folks who you know in the industry, how have they handled, I mean, how has it been for them these last nine months? Um, they've been struggling, but um, there's organizations we're able to turn to um, just to raise awareness, but a lot of them have just been going out and trying to get, like, I guess, quote unquote, normal jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's really not much you can do. All you can do is just go to where the money is. And if the money's not in sex work, you got to go where it is. Right. And talk about, um, I know you've mentioned, uh, is it a daughter? Yes. Yep. Talk about having a family uh, and being in this business. Yeah. Um. So clearly this is not anything like my children know that I do (laughs) you know if I have to go do my job I just tell my kids I'm going to school um even though I am in school I just you know that's what that's like what I say um when they're old enough obviously I'm gonna let them know like you know this is what I do as a job you know this is hopefully by then like the stigma is not going to be that bad and with how quick things happen on the internet like I'm sure like they'll understand um my home life is not anything like most people would believe it is it's very 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 boring (laughs) like most of my time is just spent uh just being a mom reading books doing schoolwork (laughs) so they don't notice a difference to even question it like do you have multiple Yes, I have a I have a daughter and I have a son. So my daughter is six and my son is about to be three. Oh, great. Fantastic. So is the daughter home home schooled during all this? She um, is doing like the hybrid learning. Okay. So that actually, that's a part that kind of sucks about a lot of this too, is that, you know, daycare is $70 a day for both my kids and I can't afford that. It doesn't matter how much money I'm making, you know, I can't, okay. I can't afford that. So kids being home all day um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge other sex workers for how they choose to run their business but I do not believe in ethically doing my job in my house and especially not when 
my kids are home. <laughs> so like when it comes to like webcamming, um, domination stuff, uh, I have a studio that I work out of like an hour away from my house. Um, but it's, it's, it's very difficult when, when the kids are not even in school anymore. So like, I can't even like drive all the way out to my domination appointments. And especially when everybody's afraid of COVID now, right. um, it's been hard. Yeah. I've been looking for other like outlets of, you know, making money. Like there's just really isn't, there really isn't much around right now. Yeah. How is the economy up there? What was that? I'm sorry. How is the economy up there? Oh, it's, uh, for some people it's great. And for some people it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say, like, it's, it's a very, pro like, um, it's all, it's just all about who, you know, if you have a family member that owns a business here, you're fine. Yeah. Um, a lot of businesses are actually getting shut down here though. So either not following regulations or just some other reason, you know, it's sad. Wow. So even that far outside of New York city, they're coming in with the hammer. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm, well, um, there's, a, there's about, what was it like 300, 300 calls to the police just within like a couple of months of people like snitching basically on small businesses for either having too many people in there or not following some sort of COVID regulation. And there's just, you know, it's unfortunate that that happens, but that's, that's what happens in small towns. You know, people just have nothing better to do other than talk shit and snitch. <laughs> so that is crazy. I think uh, to somebody like Kevin and I, it's really crazy because that kind of stuff, I don't think Kevin happens in Oklahoma that much. No, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's really not a thing here. Like, uh, I, you know, I've been in North Dakota for months now for work and then come back to Oklahoma and it's just like, it's a lot more chill. The lockdowns don't really exist. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty crazy and everybody here is pretty wound up, you know, because they have to wear a mask in like every 10th business because they have a <laughs> sign posted, but it's pretty, it's pretty wild. It's pretty relaxed right here. Yeah. Molly, one thing I want to ask, Go ahead. you've talked about the stigma a couple of times. You've kind of touched on it. How can we affect that stigma? Is there anything that like we can do within the Libertarian Party and the Liberty Movement to kind of relieve that stigma? Or do you feel like we're making headway in that? What is your opinion? Um, they're definitely making headway in that. I, I appreciated when the LNC made um, the press release and as well as when um, the Libertarian Party of Louisiana also did a press release. I think that they just need to start mentioning it more in their campaigns. Um, it's, it is part of the Libertarian Party platform and it has been for a while. And it just seems to be an issue that they're silent about because they think it's going to ruin their chances of winning. And I have some really bad news for a lot of uh, libertarians, but we're not winning anyways. So <laughs> you might as well talk about all the issues we care about. Um, and that includes open borders, that includes full drug decriminalization, not just marijuana and sex work. These are issues, these are ballot winning issues. This is like statistically winning issues. Over 50% of people support the decriminalization of sex work. You know, is in the and they leave it out because they're they're scared to talk about it. And if they're you know worried about not knowing much on the topic, well, I have some good news for you. I know a lot on the topic, so I'd appreciate if you know somebody has questions about it, go ahead and message me on Twitter or Facebook or anything. Give me a call, and I will help them 
if they want to talk about it during their campaign, but just spreading awareness, making more articles about it, um, normalizing it, just talking about it as if it's any other job. And so that's interesting. So let's say somebody like Kevin or I on Twitter, is it a, I mean, is it a good thing then when we bring it up and we talk about it, or is that annoying because we don't, we're not in the movement or we're not doing anything for it? You know what I mean? Like, I've always been hesitant to bring this up just because I, then the next step is the questions and I don't, I'm not in it. I'm not activist. You know, I don't, I haven't done the work. I know the right answers. Talking about it is definitely important. And I definitely think that you should follow more activists just so you can, you know, the questions are, are brought up on Twitter a lot, just from people that are active in it. And I think we can all agree that we don't know everything about everything. Right. So um it's important to bring in the experts when you know them and that's what I do when it comes to taxes that's when I do when I um that's what I do when it comes to uh you know drug laws when it comes to uh even second amendment I don't know anything I, I don't know barely anything about guns <laughs> I just know that I like them and they protect me so when I need to bring in some real information um I bring in the experts and I think that that's what politicians should be doing this. They shouldn't be acting like they know everything about everything. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to make. Yeah, like feel comfortable and everybody should know this, to feel comfortable tagging me in things and asking me when you need to know. I have no problems explaining in vast detail anything that they need to know about sex work. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. I mean, then, then we get to read the thread, you know, and we're learning as you're teaching. So yeah, that's a great idea. Everything I've learned about the topics that I wasn't so sure about, like taxes and guns, I've learned from, I've learned from the experts. Like that's all I could do is just listen to the people that do know what they're talking about. Sure. Well, what's next for Molly Smash and the party? Um, well, uh, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket, (laughs) (laughs) but, (laughs) um, come early January, I do have a meeting with my town planning board and they may or may not appoint me to be on the town planning board. So I've gotten, I've gotten the, uh, the okay from most of the people on the town board. Um, and that would make me the first sex worker ever appointed to office in U.S. history. So that I'm very excited about. (laughs) That is awesome. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, that's great. We've talked about that before too, and that um, there are folks who have been very effective at parlaying um, runs for office into appointed positions, uh, which is something we need to get a lot better at because <clears throat> we we have a lot of smart people in this party, and they may run and only get five or twelve percent. You know what I mean? But if they can mm-hmm. parlay that into an appointed position where they then actually have influence on local politics, even if it's not an elected position, um, that right there is doing more than five consecutive runs getting 5%. Yeah. So that's fantastic. And I don't have to raise any money. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And, and, and I don't have what? to deal with campaign finances, which are a pain in my ass. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? We've known people that have fallen just short and haven't gotten appointed, but at least you're in the, in the conversation for the next appointment and the next appointment after that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Getting screwed actually sets you up nice to not get screwed the next time, you know? So, um, so I mean, good luck on that because that's, that would be awesome. A, it'd be awesome. Anytime you're the first at anything, you get some good publicity out of that. Then the party has to 
talk about you, which I think is fantastic. Um, and I and I think it it just sets you up nice for the future too, because that appointment might set up a more successful run going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Are there nonpartisan positions in New York, or is everything a partisan race? Everything except for mayor, I believe. Okay. Um, obviously, town town board is not not partisan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have uh, quite a I mean, allegedly anyways, of course, in some way it is, but. Yeah, we have quite a few nonpartisan races in Oklahoma, and that's obviously where we've notched our wins when we get them. Um, and so that's why I was asking. That's interesting. But yeah, no, I mean, that appointment would be huge. So what is the actual position? Just so. Uh, town planning board, so just handling uh, like zoning laws, building regulations, just okay. you know, little things here and there. It's more than anything, it's going to be a learning experience and a a lot for publicity, right? Just towards the Libertarian Party. What I'm afraid of, okay, I'm going to back that up. I'm not really afraid of it, but what I'm concerned about is the fact that it will bring a lot of attention to the LP if it does um, get a lot of media coverage, and I don't want a backlash from the LP saying like, you know, why are they focusing so much on sex work? like right like well, I think it's it's a fair concern but i think a it'll be fine i think that's that's okay the the lp i don't think they'll worry about the backlash b i think what'll get more attention hopefully is that you're going to vote no on every regulation yep <laughs> <laughs> pretty much that's the and goal so that'll go there be... say no and go home <laughs> <laughs> that's what will get the most attention i think as you start with your work um and you can become you know the local doctor no uh <laughs> i love it you know, and, and i think no, I mean, it would that, be mistress no <laughs> exactly, there you go i like that and uh, i mean that's the kind of thing yeah i mean honestly a nickname like that or something where where you're actually using it to explain the libertarian theory of less regulation you know that can be really powerful and that's going to over I think it'll overdrive any any negative publicity that uh, you know, quote unquote, negative publicity. I, I don't think all publicity is good publicity, in my opinion. I guess it allows us to one hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and and I think that the Libertarian Party would be the one that has the backlash if they decide to come out and say anything, you know, that other than this is a great thing for Liberty to have us on a board. So. Well, if, if they have a problem with the fact that I'm bringing a lot of attention to the sex work community, well, first of all, there's a lot of sex workers. Let's, I think that we need to understand that there's a lot of sex workers, especially in America. Yeah. So if we could get all of them on board with the LP, that is a huge gain for us. Yeah. And they're, they're missing that mark yeah. for, for nothing other than trying to stay a more conservative, you know, gentleman's club. And I, think that they need to move beyond that and this is not a this is not a socially conservative you know stance to take this is purely like from a just a business standpoint <laughs> there's a lot of sex workers there's a lot of porn stars there's definitely a lot of people who have an only fans now so if we can get them to listen then i think that this is a great opportunity for the lp because you know then they're going to catch on to everything else that we've been screaming about for the since the 70s <laughs> Right. by the way the sex workers is not the big get the big get is the people that would want sex work to be legal which yes. are viewers and your fans and your you know people who are hiring you i mean there's you know 
there, <laughs> there might be a million sex workers. There's, you know, 280 million people who use one of those services. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's a good issue for us. Uh, I think the backlash should be minimal and probably local. I think the, if anything, I think the LP would be well served to highlight that appointment rather than do anything else. Yes. And we also need we also need to catch it before the Democrats try to catch it because I can already see AOC starting with her her nonsense and I'm like nope no 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 yeah we did this first <laughs> and we're gonna be vocal about it first I really 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 want Justin Amash to say something about this more than anything because he's already in Congress yeah. he has the lead way he needs to say something about sex work I think it's so 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 important that he says something before the Democrats take hold of this and just ruin it. Yeah, and he's only got, you know, 14 more days or something to do, so. Yeah. So he I think that's a long shot. I think he's still pretty socially conservative. I mean, he's, it would be nice, but I, I think that we're, I think that we're really wishing for something that I, I very seriously doubt happens. Yeah. Are you involved in any caucuses? Um, I am affiliated right now, um, with the Libertarian Sex Workers' Right Caucus. Um, before I wasn't, I was actually a vice chair and then uh, I kind of left for a little bit to work in independently. I was endorsed by the Mises Caucus <laughs> and they donated 500 to my campaign when I ran for office, uh, but I'm no longer affiliated with them for my own personal reasons. I don't agree with a lot of the, the people that they are associated with, but um, other than that, I try, to, I try to stay away from caucuses. Good stuff. So going forward, we've got the possible appointee. Uh, anything else on the LP side that you're looking forward to? Um, just helping other candidates for the most part and in and, and any way possible that I can. Being a sex worker, I have a lot of time on my hands. So um, just anything I can do for anybody, uh, endorsements, anything, helping raise money. Very good. Kevin, what do you get? I don't have much. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on. Do you want to plug where everybody can find you? Yeah, I appreciate it. And um, yes, yeah, so my Twitter is going to be at Chase Takach, so C-H-A-S-E-T-K-A-C-H. And my Instagram is the exact opposite of that. It's my last name and then first name, so T-K-A-C-H-C-H-A-S-E. And um, yeah, just uh, hit me up anytime. And if you need any help with anything sex work related, just uh, give me give me a contact. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Molly. This was great. Of course. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely.